When we started this roughly five years ago, we thought we'd probably figure out as we went along how to build soil. And I think we have. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, subsistence farmers using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make all misstatements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and welcome to our podcast of September 27, 2012. I'm glad you said that at the beginning because we learned early on in the process of, of our instruction about growing vegetables that um, you're not about growing vegetables, you're growing soil. I mean, that's really where the, the Good action point. is. And yeah. when we first started out, I'm sure you remember, um, we had this hard pan, sandy, you basically, you're just rocky, scratching at it. Rocky to, too. Yeah, trying to get something to grow in it. And... Um, I guess we bring up this topic with what we've learned about building soil because of where we are in the Veg Hill 2.0 process. Yeah, we, we should probably bring folks up to date. You know, last week we were talking about our, what we originally said was Veg Hill Reboot, and now we're calling it Veg Hill 2.0. Um, it's when we've decided to go out there and basically start over putting up raised beds instead of long, and I do mean long, rows right into the soil. Uh, things are proceeding at a good pace. In fact, maybe you should talk a little bit about what you've done so far. Well, it was a couple of days ago when we finished bush hogging, and that was probably the most dramatic change. You know, when you look yeah. at Veg Hill oh, the yeah. way it was before and the way it looked after bush hogging, it was night and day. We had, uh, for the first time, you could see from one end of Veg Hill to the other. and Instead of having to look around a lot of weeds. Exactly. <laughs> and then uh, just today, or, or I, I guess, um, yeah, we finished um, today disking, which is the process of just kind of stirring up the soil. And it was in that process of stirring up the soil that we had the chance to observe what has happened. And that's when I started talking about, golly, you remember 2007, five years ago, what it looked like then and what it looks like now. And so what you were observing down at your end of the field, and I did, I went out to do some work out there too, and I saw it as well, rich, black, and soft soil. Where there used to be sandy, rocky, like hard pan. Hard pan, right. Oh, I remember I used to just needed to take it needed to be taking a sledgehammer to it i didn't have a sledgehammer so I, you know just trying to pound the earth with my spade and everything else and it just it really was so um and and of course when i planted something there half the time it didn't germinate and if it did the plant didn't get very large it was it was not happy there so we've managed to build the soil up in the past 5 years and even after bush hogging and after disking, I walk in that soil and it's just brimming over with organic matter. And you can just tell yeah. it's um, lots of sticks and twigs and leaves and straw and, you know, just all the, the detritus of living things that will make the soil rich. So, yeah, we, let's talk about. We what sort we of feel did. like. Um, we were successful in that 
operation and we decided, okay, we know something. Why don't we tell people exactly what yes, we've done? That's right. Well, and I think we can start with fair disclosure. In the rows, not in the aisles, but in the rows, we have added super soil that we mentioned last week that we purchased from Froggy Bottom, uh, which has mushroom compost and some sand and... And ground up wood ground, chips. That's right. Ground wood chips. Um, but, you know, that's a minority of what's on Veg Hill because... When you think about it, the other, we put, every time I, pu- I um, plant something, I also put compost that we make out there. Exactly. And uh, when I say we make, God makes it. But I mean, it's, you know, we put our um, kitchen scraps and whatever else we can get our hands on and our um, hopefully not diseased vegetable scraps from, you know, or cuttings and that kind of thing out there. And over time, we have managed to build up some compost. So we'll use that when we and have it. Let's just be honest. Compost is black gold. It's just wonderful. I wish we had 50 times as much compost as we have. Boy, don't you know it. We're just, we can't generate the kind of volume of compost we would love to be able to get our hands on. And, you know, maybe at some point we'll figure that out. But right now, we're just sort of nibbling around the edges of compost. Yeah, we'll need to get some more and and figure out ways to produce more. But in the meantime, let's talk about some of our other strategies that we think have worked well. And Um, we've talked some about this in the past. But one of the things we figured out is that here in the South, where soil is active 12 months out of the year, If you're not growing something on it 12 months out of the year, then you're backing up. You're going to lose organic matter, and that's exactly what happens to soil in the South. Yeah. Here in central Alabama, it's very unusual for soil to have organic matter of more than a percent or so. But what we did was, of course, during the growing season, we planted a target crop, and especially last year, we got, well, I think starting the year before, and we did a summer crop. cover crop with sun hemp but last year we got really serious about it we had some sun hemp tailing in from summer and then in the fall we planted lupin and black oats in various combinations out there and i really think that did the trick i do too and especially the lupin which fixed nitrogen in the soil that all helped and but i will say the sun hemp probably did more than the lupin and the black oats to super to uh, jumpstart that soil fertility. I do think that's true because I can always tell when I'm coming behind the sun hemp and bringing yeah. it down to plant something. It's such nice soil. Let's talk a little bit about what sun hemp does because it, it's sort of a trifecta. With sun hemp, you get this massive biomass. Yeah, it it gets tall, buddy. (laughs) It gets tall. It gets fat. It generates lots of leaves, and leaves, and it's it just does a wonderful job of creating biomass. And then, in addition, it has these wonderful fat, strong root channels. Mm -hmm. So when you have grown sun hemp somewhere, the first thing you'll notice about it is that the soil down below where you are growing the sun hemp is now softer and more pliable because those root channels have been burrowing for And I did notice that. And when I planted, what I would do is pull those up and then lay the roots and what's left of the plant down on the soil. And it sort of became part of the mulch. Yeah, and it's amazing. You really don't have to 
till it in or anything. No, the critters no, no. will take care of, you know, coming up and getting it and taking it down into the soil. Yeah, it, it works just great. You're and right. And of course, uh, the, the, the third the arm of the trifecta is that with sun hemp, you've got a legume and it fixes nitrogen. Yeah. Um, lupin fixes nitrogen, but as we've discussed before, lupin really doesn't start working to fix nitrogen until after we're ready to bring it down. So in order for us to get nitrogen from lupin, we would have to let it grow right into the spring. Yeah, and, and, that is and, and we're very seldom willing to do that. No, you know? and especially next year when I'm just going to be chomping at the bit to get everything in as early yeah. as I can. So I think the, the time when we're going to get the big bang out of our cover crop is going to be when we're willing to let sun hemp grow on it in the summertime. And the nice thing about sun hemp is that it grows fast you can have an early summer target crop and then sow some sun hemp and have time for the sun hemp to mature and get you a really good cover going at, before the frost. Yeah, yeah it, because the weather stays warm for so long here. And if we're smart, we'll follow that up with some black oats or lupin yeah. or um, t um, what's the tillage radish? Uh, daikon, daikon radish. radishes, yeah. Um, we have some of that seed now ready yeah, to go. Yeah, and, and if we keep something growing 12 months out of the year, it just really makes a difference and it keeps that um, organic matter high. And we've discovered that the more biomass, the better. Absolutely. Just, you know, pile on the biomass. And if you are doing those things, but only if you are doing those things, no-till, organic no-till really does work. It works for us, at least. Yeah, and we're really not, we said earlier, we didn't, that is on an earlier podcast, we're not tilling and disking out there because we want to. We don't really want to disturb that soil, but as I said to someone on Facebook last week, desperate times call for desperate measures. We had so much weed taking over out there and so many problems that we just had to go in and start over. Well, now let's, I'm, I'm not uh, disking because of weeds. I mean, well, I've got, once I bush hogged, I've got the weeds under that's control. That's one reason I wanted you to The disc, reason though. I'm disking is so we can soften up that material because you and I are going to be out there with a pickaxe trying to get 16 feet long level spots for a bed. That's true, and that's and a I'm really going to be reason. trenching down between two beds for an irrigate for a drip irrigation header. So I've got to have that material softened up just to help us dig. Well, that's good because I I understood that, but I also thought that we thought maybe one advantage would be greater disruption of the weed roots. Hmm. I mean, we it may be an advantage. It, it may, but but a very small uh, improvement. You know, once you get it bush hogged, I can keep the, it'll, it'll be then turf, and I can keep the turf mowed with the walk behind. Yeah, and with the raised beds, which we'll get to, we'll just make sure that there's something underneath those raised beds so that the weeds don't penetrate. Yeah. Newspaper or something like that. So we, all this that we've shared with you that we've learned in the process of, of working Veg Hill we will replicate in the raised beds. Um, so we'll be keeping target crops going there during the warm weather months and some during the 
fall and winter and spring, the, the fall veg. We'll be planting cover crops whenever we're not actively using soil. We'll be dumping all the compost we can get our hands on and we'll into start them. Out, and we'll start out with froggy bottom soil. Yeah, we'll probably again. start out with super soil because it seems to work very well for us. And in those raised beds, we can justify the cost of super soil because we're talking about a fair, fairly small area. Yeah, it'll, it'll last us a while. And then in the years to come, we don't plan to just keep buying new super soil every year. We'll do what we've been doing, which is yeah. building and, it up. And I agree with your initial comment that the super soil made a difference, but a much smaller difference, I think, than the cover crops and the, and the compost. I, do, I agree with that, yeah. Now, um, you've already taken delivery of the wood out there for the uh, raised beds. And I'm telling you, it's a pretty um, formidable looking group of, I don't know, stack of wood. It's, it's huge. Well, and the first thing I did when I hefted one of them is to ask myself, Lee, are you an idiot? <laughs> a 2 by 12 by 16 ground contact treated yellow pine stick is a heavy son of a gun. Um. It's going to be a challenge for us to get these beds built. Uh, we're going to be hefting a lot of weight, hmm. and there will be no moving a bed once it's built. Once it's there, it stays there. Um, yeah. There will hardly be much moving of a 2 by 12 by 16 but um, once that 2 by 12 by 16 is attached to something else, it's not going anywhere. So that just puts the onus on us to do a really good job preparing the beds so that they're nice and level. Yeah. And then once we get them built, we got to leave them alone. And we know from the, the experience of building, albeit smaller beds, but a similar kind of plan at our friend Gene's house, we know how critical it is to get that land leveled up before you put your bed out there. I agree. Um, it was also a pain to have to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's no the least pleasant part of building raised beds is leveling up the soil so that the bed is level. And, it, it you know, looks can be deceiving. You look at it and you think, oh, that looks pretty level. But no, not when you get the old survey equipment out. <laughs> yeah, what we use to do our leveling is a transit um, and when we'll use it this weekend, I'll try to get a photo of it so we can put it up on the site so people will know exactly what we mean. But it is, it's very precise, and it will tell you exactly how, how deep or how shallow you are. And I agree with you. Our eyes are almost worthless when it yeah. comes to leveling it's something up. It's just so hard to judge um, any slight amount of drop-off on something. But the transit doesn't lie. That's right. So we have to, but, but it really helped us with Jean's beds. They turned out great, and they really were level. But uh, as I said, it's a pain getting it to that point. And I honestly don't remember what we paid for that transit, but it uh, whatever we paid for it, it has certainly um, paid for itself. It certainly has because we used it to we used it to level for the lodge as well as here. Yeah, we've leveled up uh, the pad for the lodge, the pad for the barn, the. Um, what have we done? Oh, the uh, area for the gate for Veg Hill and several other things with that transit. Yeah, so, so like you said, it's, it's, and that's probably not the last thing we'll have to level up for some probably reason. Probably not. So it's paid for itself, as you said. 
All um, right. Well, I guess uh, we're a little ahead of schedule, but I think that's all we really planned to talk about today, yeah. unless you know of something else we Not need to really. share. Not really. I think just to share <clears throat> the the heartache of cutting down my peppers at the end of the season and all the lima beans came down and harvested. So, but, but the last ones to go today were the peppers. Um, I detached each little pepper lovingly from its plant and uh, whatever we can't use in the next few days, I'll freeze. Um, oh, did that with okra early in the week, too. Tried to harvest the last of that. Um, it's a rite of passage. It's the end of summer. And I hope this time next year with our raised beds, I won't be under the gun so much. I won't, I'll, I'll be able to say, you know, we could get a few more weeks out of this okra. And we could get a few more weeks out of these peppers and tomatoes and eggplant. Maybe, although you may be surprised that I will be nipping at your heels saying, okay, we need to get some black oats and and um, lupin or yeah. daikon radish or well, something October's started. Well, the time to do that, and it's not quite October yet. True. So let me have my and it's fun interesting as long that as I can. If, as soon as you had tearfully removed your last peppers, I was gleefully disking. So... Uh, <laughs> Oh, that's, I guess those are two passages of life yeah. that well, we've enjoyed. That's right. But, but as you said, we'll, uh, we'll keep the process going and we'll uh, let everybody know how it all turns out. Sounds good. Okay. Well, have a great week and we'll catch up with you next time. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama, 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log and check in with Lee and Amanda. That's longleafbreeze.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.